This is Another Chance, Episode 7. It's the Friday before Easter. Juliet Anderson was at the beach with her daughter Katrina and two of Katrina's friends. It was a beautiful day on the big Pacific Bay along the coast of Pichilimu, Chile in South America. Katrina is a delightful child with special needs. She has Down syndrome. Juliet's plan for the outing was to surf the small waves near the shore and then talk with the kids about Jesus' life, death, and his resurrection. Katrina wore her black wetsuit and carried a lightweight polystyrene foam surfboard under her arm as she eagerly gazed at the ocean. A competent surfer and an excellent swimmer, Katrina was ready for action. Juliet briefly turned away from Katrina to assist one of the other youngsters. By the time Juliet turned back towards the bay, Katrina had waded into the water, hopped onto her board, and began paddling out. Normally, this wouldn't be a cause for concern. Katrina grew up in these waters, and Juliet was a professional lifeguard on the beaches of California for many years and is an exceptional surfer in her own right. Juliet ran into the water, jumped onto her board to catch up with her daughter, but strangely was unable to spot her. In short order, Katrina had been sucked into a powerful, narrow stream of water known as a rip current. This fast-moving current was quickly pulling Katrina out to sea. Juliet hurried back to shore, where she climbed a rock, hoping to spot her daughter. Once she finally saw Katrina, it was too late. Katrina was atop a dangerous, massive wave. So dangerous, in fact, the best surfers were avoiding that part of the bay on that day. And then Katrina disappeared. And I don't see anything. I don't see her. I was looking for her body. I was looking for the broken little board in half or bits of the soft foam board. And I don't see anything. And I just started crying out to the Lord. And I just said, Lord, this cannot be happening. You told me to bring her, Lord. You told me that, that you know, you were going to, that I was going to share all this and this cannot be happening. And I, I started arguing with God and then I just started pleading with him to send his angels to protect her wherever she was. And how were those prayers answered? With dolphins and two mysterious men wearing white robes. Welcome to the Another Chance Podcast, Episode 7. I'm your host, Brian Sussman. More on me in this podcast series at briansussman.com. Have you ever heard someone share a real-life story that causes you to exclaim, this should be a movie? Well, I've been blessed, truly blessed, with meeting some incredible people over the years who have stories that are off the charts inspiring. I mean, they really are of biblical proportions as they illustrate the reality of God. And while my friend's stories may never make it onto a Hollywood screen, I thought I could at least present their accounts in a podcast. Thus, the Another Chance podcast available on most podcast platforms. This episode centers around my friends Juliet and Mitch Anderson and their daughter Katrina. And as you'll hear, it really does involve sea creatures and mysterious men in white robes. And yes, Katrina does have Down syndrome. Down syndrome is a condition wherein a person has an extra chromosome, 
Chromosomes are small packages of genes in our bodies, and they determine how our bodies form during pregnancy and how we then function as we grow both in the womb and after birth. Down syndrome babies have an extra chromosome. This additional genetic matter alters the course of development and causes characteristics associated with Down syndrome. I've personally had the great pleasure of knowing Katrina since she was a toddler. She's full of love and laughter. She's been on a swim team. She surfs all the time and has traveled all over the planet with her parents, who have been leaders in a Christian organization called Youth with a Mission, or YWAM, for several decades. Mitch and Juliet have lived in Chile since 1988. They have five children, Nathan, Jessica, Janelle, Michaela, and their youngest, Katrina. Mitch and Juliet's story is amazing in its own right. In catching up on the specifics, Mitch reminded me in an email that he and Juliet were boyfriend-girlfriend while in college at the University of California, Santa Barbara. It was 1980. I was a self-centered, self-pleasing, manipulative kind of guy, writes Mitch. And Juliet was a young woman with hurts and anger issues that kept her struggling as well. We were absolutely toxic to one another. Their relationship, he wrote, was all but on the rocks. To clear his head, Mitch decided to take a quarter off from college and head to Hawaii to, quote, catch the biggest waves I could find. He headed for the island of Kauai. When I got to Kauai, Mitch writes, I met a group of guys who had recently been total pagans, but they had come to Christ and were now tearing up the waves for Jesus. I can still picture a guy we called Creature dropping into a massive barrel, screaming at the top of his lungs, Glory! This was really the first crew I had met who were a lot like me. They had screws loose upstairs and they carried a passion for living life to the fullest. But now they found their passions fully satisfied in their love for Jesus. He was the answer I had been looking for all along. So I asked Jesus to be my Lord and Savior back in January of 1981. The thought of returning to his relationship with Juliet wasn't going to cut it. When he finally returned to college in the spring, he arranged a meeting with Juliet to break up. Unbeknownst to him, Juliet was ready to end the relationship as well. She too had recently declared Jesus as Lord. Her life was quickly coming together, and she believed getting mixed up with Mitch again would be too toxic for her. Mitch writes, So on that fateful day when I went to see her, we both had made up our minds to break up. We both thought the other would tempt and draw us away from Christ. When we met at her apartment, we finally discovered that we both had accepted Christ some 3,000 miles apart. Suddenly, the future looked completely different for these two. They immediately began attending a nearby Calvary Chapel church. Mitch writes, Pastor Gib Allen was speaking on sexual purity for a few weeks to a group of hormone-filled college kids. It was awesome. God knew just what we needed to get back on track with him. Mitch lived in what he considers a truck at the time. I actually remember this. It was the tiniest RV home ever. Recalls Mitch, Julie accepted my asking for her hand in marriage while we were surfing and while I lived in that truck. We drove off on a many-month honeymoon in that same truck. We lived in that truck as we lifeguarded beaches from San Diego up to Santa Cruz. 
And then we went back to Kauai for another winter of surfing so she could see my spiritual roots. Those same guys told us about YWAM. Mitch and Juliet dove into Youth with a Mission with Gusto and have never looked back. They founded a YWAM base in Pichilimu Limu in 1992. Today it's a thriving outpost that trains and disciples thousands of Christians each year from all over the world who serve the local community through counseling services and a sports complex, as well as becoming trained in a variety of ministry pursuits to serve people all over the planet. I decided to interview Mitch and Juliet separately for this podcast. I thought it would make this incredible story even more credible. In the end, you'll hear the entire family come together. I think one thing that was really, um, really wonderful is the way the Lord prepared our hearts to have this fifth addition to our family. So we knew right from the day she was born, the moment she was born, the moment she appeared in the delivery room down in this little town of Pichilemu, Chile, uh, the midwife said, you know, your, your baby's special. And none of us, the two of us, didn't even didn't even realize, I mean, that just the, the beauty and the wonder and the, the awesomeness of having the baby, uh, we didn't even realize it at the moment. And then she finally said, you know, she has Down syndrome. Uh, but what an awesome experience. Our experience, I would say, and I hope it wasn't a unique experience in, in the way we saw it, but from the very instant, the very moment, the very uh, few first few seconds of looking at her face and seeing that, di- that difference, um, we both talked about it later. We both had an absolute peace. It was peace from the get-go. Even though she is Down syndrome, you never treated her any differently than the other kids, at least from my perspective. I realized that God knew we were going to have these children. He knew that we were going to be in missions. He knew that I was going to have to homeschool her because I was homeschooling the others. And so he just taught me if I don't treat her as like I tra- treated the others, other people will not, tr- will, will not treat her properly either. Well, the two of you have done a wonderful job raising this beautiful child, and she is she is so full of joy. Whenever I think of Katrina, I think of joy. Yeah, she loves Jesus, and so it oozes out of her, and she loves people. Yes. And so she's always singing. She's very happy, and she looks at life in a totally different way than we do. It was as if God put the perfect parents together with this special child. Or maybe the perfect child was given to these special parents. In either case, Mitch shared about those first moments and days after Katrina's birth. There was no issues. There was, it was, we understood there's a lot of unknowns out there, and we were going to face a lot of unknowns. But about eight or nine days later, um, we went into uh, Santiago, the capital, to take her to the most well-known Down syndrome expert in the country, a doctor at the Catholic University who happened to be an atheist. Um, and we walked into his office with our baby in our arms, and he, um, he was sitting there with a psychologist sitting next to him. And wonderful people, wonderful man, wonderful woman. But I really soon could tell that they were going to be, they were aiming at taking us through the trauma of having this baby, the trauma of facing the unknowns, the trauma of potential marital problems and divorce and all these other things that people talk about. 
And it was so, it was, it was literally fun to walk in there and holding your arms and just with smiles on our faces from ear to ear and totally ignorant as to what the next years, decades would look like. But knowing that God had our back and he was going to take care of the details and he was going to teach us in root and this baby was going to be a blessing because that was what we had. We're no heroes. It was just, there was a connection there that was really beautiful to experience. So I was able to tell this, uh, the doctor and his friend, his associate there, let me just clear the slate here. Um, we are followers of Christ. We're, 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 we're people who believe in God. And I got to tell you, there's no such thing as oops in heaven. And so if we could just clear the slate. Now, we're ignorant. We need a lot of information. We need a lot of help. There's probably areas of denial that we're thinking maybe we're still inclined to think she's going to be normal in some way or what have you. But in the backdrop of that, we know God's got our backs and we know that it's all going to be good. And this baby is going to be the biggest and most incredible blessing in our lives ever. And not just in our lives, but all of our kids. So it was in that context. And I'm it was fun to watch an atheist doctor expert in Downs and this psych psychologist just sit there and stare at us with their mouths open. But yeah, that kind of set the stage. She kind of set the stage. God used her to set the stage for us, not we setting the stage for her. So now let's go to that one day okay. where you're <laughs> on the beach she does have an adventurous spirit, doesn't she? She's very adventurous. She's very happy, but she, at that age, she was 12 and a half. She loved um, paddling out with us. We're a family of surfers. We're all, we have five children, and my husband and I, we both, we all love surfing. We run surf camps, so she knew how to be on a board. In fact, one of your children is a pro surfer. Yes, Jessica is a professional surfer, surfing right now for Chile. Uh, and so... Katrina knows how to be on the board. She knows how to paddle. And we, that morning, I was having, in my time alone with God, I was having a quiet time. And I, it was Good Friday. And I was asking the Lord about my daughter Katrina, how she could really understand what the cross meant and what the resurrection meant. And in that time, I felt the Lord say to me, take her to the beach and spend time with her and explain the cross and the resurrection. So that was my plan. That's the only reason I took her to the beach that day. The day before, during that week, we had huge waves, gigantic waves. The surf was, you know, six meters, which is about 25-foot waves on the outside, or 30 big waves. Those are world-class waves. That's big. That is really big. But on the inside, where you can teach surfing, the waves are small. Mm -hmm. So... I decided to take her to the beach, and two of her friends that like her wanted to come along because they knew we were going to surf, and we teach surfing. So I said, okay, you could come with us. So we get to the beach, we find a spot, and there we are preparing to go in. Do you want me to tell the story? Yeah, yeah no, <laughs> okay. I, I, wa I want you to tell the story. Okay. Well, here we are on the edge of the shore. I'm helping one of her friends put on their leash and get on the board. Katrina had a small little board. It was a foam board, a six-foot soft foam board without a leash. And so here we are close to shore, and I'm helping her friend get her leash on on our board. Katrina's impatient. She wants to get in the water. Her friend Benjamin as well is next to her. They're both waiting and waiting. So I said, okay, you guys can get in, but just there was a group of surfers about 10 yards away. I go, go sit with them, and I'll be right there because I was helping Anita. 
and Katrina and Benjamin start paddling out to the first group of uh, the surf uh, school. So I'm helping her, and as I look, Katrina goes to that first group of surfers, but continues to decides to continue paddling further to the left, where there was about another 15 yards further. There was another group of surfers from that. So there was, she was about 25 yards away is the other group of surfers. So she gets this in her mind because she loves to do this. She, it used to be a game when we'd paddle in the water. She always likes to be the first and furthest out. So when we go surfing, we have to paddle really quickly to catch up to her. She's a strong paddler and an excellent swimmer. She's, uh, she swims on a swim team. She knows all the first strokes. She competes on a regular swim team. So she's a pretty competent uh, person in the water, and she loves the ocean. So here we are. She starts paddling toward the second group of surfers uh, that are there. And I look at her friend, Anita. I go, Anita, I cannot help you anymore. Katrina's taking off. I need to go get her. So I got on my board. And you thought there was no panic at this point in time. You're Not get at her. all. Yeah. No, I just need to reroute her and bring her back to the yeah. group. So I get on my board and start paddling out. Whenever you have big waves in our neck of the woods, when you're lying on your board, you cannot see a lot for, uh, ahead of you because the water goes up and down. Even though it's small on the inside, there's so much shock in the ocean that there's a lot of movement. So even when you're on your belly, you cannot see people. and, and t You're going up and down on the waves, even on the inside. So I'm paddling out. I get to that group of surfers that I assumed she had paddled out to. And I get there, and a good friend of mine, Christian, who runs a surf school there, He's teaching. I go, Christian, did Katrina make it here? She was paddling out toward you guys. And he goes, I haven't seen Katrina. I go, you must have. She, I saw her coming straight toward you guys. He goes, Juliet, I haven't seen her. And I go, where did she go? I sat up on my board, and I started looking. I'm looking out to sea, looking. And from, from that point, there was nobody else in the water. So I'm like, I do not have a good view here. So I paddled in toward the rocks. I got up on the on the rocks and I started looking over the bay. Now when the waves are big there, when they break, the foam uh, creates a, like a fog for about, I'd say about six feet high. And it's a fog, like you know, coastal fog, but it's created by the big waves. It's a sunny day, beautiful, but there's this- It's like a it, mist. It's a mist. So I stand up and I'm trying to look above the mist and trying to see, it, and I see nothing. And above me is a road, and there's people overlooking, watching the waves. And I, I screamed to these a young couple, and I said, "Do you? Can you see anybody out there? Because I, I'm wondering where could she have gone? Did she get out? Did she go back out? And so they, they, they point all the way north to the top of the the point, which is where all the big waves are. They point in that direction. And they go. There's somebody out there. And so I climb up higher in the rocks, and there I could see Katrina. She's on, on top of this set wave. I just see this little, little person. I once read a quote from a surfer who said, waves are not measured in feet and inches, but in increments of fear. Little Katrina had made it out to a set of big waves, Juliet estimates they were at least six meters high. That's nearly 20 feet. And some portions of those set waves could have been 30 feet. It was so dangerous, even the best surfers didn't want to ride these. And there was Katrina, atop one of them. Now, the currents were really strong. 
So she got out there through that the rip current that took her to the outside. Hmm. And so I'm watching, and as I'm watching, I see her on the top, the crest of the wave, and the wave is beginning to break. And I see her drop down the crest of the wave as it breaks, and it explodes six to ten feet in the air, mm -hmm. and then I don't see her anymore. And right there, I'm like, oh, Lord, what do I do? Now, I'm, I've been a lifeguard for uh, 12 years for the state of California on the beaches. And so I just started thinking, okay, think, what should I do? And I started praying, Lord, should I go out? I had a board that was an eight-footer, soft foam, without a leash. I said, should I go out on this board or should I paddle, go up, grab a decent board to paddle out to look for her? And I just sensed for the Holy Spirit, go now. Don't waste time to find another board. So I got on my board and I paddled out as far as I could to the area. How far in terms of distance was she when you saw her fall off the front of the wave? From where you were, about how far distance-wise? From me, the Pichilemu had, it's a bay. So I was up near, I was, I was going toward the point. I was halfway between the point and the bay. Mm -hmm. From the bay to where she was, it was e easily between 400, 500 yards away. And I don't see anything. I don't see her. I was looking for her body. I was looking for the broken little board in half or bits of the soft foam board, and I don't see anything. And I just started crying out to the Lord. And I just said, Lord, this cannot be happening. You told me to bring her, Lord. You told me that, that you know you were gonna that I was gonna share all this, and this cannot be happening. And I, I started arguing with God, and then I just started pleading with Him to send His angels to protect her wherever she was. And then I, then I would go into lifeguard mode. I'd think, okay, think, okay, the current's moving this way. If she's if she's in that current, it would take her that direction. So I should paddle straight to shore and walk along the coast. And then I just would cry like a mom, you know, God have mercy on me. And I, and I was, I was just struggling out there. Hmm. And finally I got my wits about me and I decided to paddle to shore, looking as I went to see if I could find something. I didn't see anybody. I didn't see, I didn't see any people, nor animals, nor boards, no wetsuits, nothing. So I make it all the way to shore. It was, and by that time, I was about 350 yards away from shore. Paddled straight to shore, straight the way she would have gone. And I run back to where we started to see if she had made it back. She didn't. I ran to the local. At, at that point, I sent two people to go tell the Coast Guard that Katrina Anderson Dalston was lost out at sea. Meantime, Mitch was back at the YWAM base and receives word from a friend that his daughter is missing. I knew, I knew on that day when my friend came up the hill, they had already been looking for Katrina for some time. When he came up the hill to pick me up and said, Katrina's lost at sea. And we live on a hillside overlooking the bay and it was just stacks of waves to the horizon. It was huge and 30 or 35 knot winds coming out of the south, blowing people, you know, get blowing out into the middle of the bay. Everything was wrong with being outside there, and there was no surfers out there that day. And so, and I wasn't even thinking about surfing it, you know. I surf big waves. I, 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 I do big wave riding, and that day, it was just one of those kind of days on the outside. On the inside, it was, wasn't bad, but on the outside, very, very serious, very dangerous, very, very death-defying in every way, shape, and form. And 
So to think of our 13-year-old girl uh, having gotten swept out, having paddled out, actually, you know, she's a little stinker. She she was disobeying mommy at that moment. <laughs> Mitch, when you heard Lost at Sea, again, given your respect for the waves and your many years as a lifeguard, this is your daughter. What went through your mind at that point? We need a miracle. Yeah, yeah. And, and actually getting in the pickup truck and going down with my friend, I was so desperate I was climbing on the roofs of houses along the beachfront so that I could get a better view of the ocean. That's how big it was on the outside. And there were patches, you know, when the big swells come through, you get the, the kelp that gets torn up. And you have these patches of black and darkened kelp floating over the, the, the edges of the waves out there. And each, each one of those black spots in my mind was her wetsuited body floating face down. It was hor it was horrible. It was as bad a moment, you know, uh, I mean one of the top one of the worst the bottom worst moments of my entire existence, entire life. Uh, this little girl that had been with us for 13 years that we had enjoyed so much and learned so much from and experienced so much and we're so unworthy to be called her parents mm. because we've fallen so short so many times mm. with our with our short tempers with our, you know, and, 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 and that contrast and all that, all that was rushing back on me. And I literally felt sick. I thought I was going to throw up. I was, I was completely nauseous. I was, and I looked at the ocean, all my experience said, there's no way that little girl's coming out of this. We're never going to, the best we're going to do is find her body somewhere. And that would have been miles to the north, getting swept to the north. And because other surfers and people have gone out there and died out there. I have friends that passed away out there. And I've nearly died four or five times in conditions even less serious than that. Wow. And, um, and then I went to my local friends that run a surf uh, school. And I, I told them. Can you get people in the water to start looking for Katrina? Mm. And I said, I'm going to walk along the beach to see if I could find her. I got up on the lifeguard tower, scanned, couldn't see anything, and then started walking north along the beach. The beach is a long beach. Uh, we have if It's just a very long beach. It could be a mile long or even longer. So I'm starting to walk slowly, looking at the people, seeing if I could see anything. And I get past the main beach, past the... We call it the horses, past the river mouth, and then you go into the forested area. And I'm walking along the forested area, and I'm crying and I'm praying, and um, and I'm I see a person running toward me, and he he looks at me and he just with his finger starts pointing toward behind me. I mean, uh, um, behind him. And in the direction I'm moving Did forward. Did you know this person? I didn't know that person. I'd never seen him before, and I never saw him afterwards. And he just points back, and I said, a little girl with Down syndrome? And, and he just pointed. And I said, ah! So I started running, and as I'm running in the direction he's coming from, I see this little black, black figure thrown on the beach about 25 yards away. I see um, her board next to her, and it's Katrina. And I'm like, and I started running, and as she sees me, she pops up, she stands up, and starts running toward me, Mommy! And I, we, we run, and we hug, and I'm just crying, and I have all this emotion, and, and she's wiping my tears, and I'm just, Katrina, I'm so sorry, honey. And, 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 and uh, I could not think very clearly at that moment. I was just 
in shock that I found her and she was alive. And um, so your daughter had traveled on a foam board one way or the other, well over a mile. Yes. And way out to sea. I mean, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of yards offshore with 25 to 30 foot swell uh, coming in with at the base of the bay. And that's the worst. The base of the bay, when the when it's big like that, the the current will then dogleg. It'll turn as it's heading north. It'll rip a hole in the sandbars and it'll create a rip that is this brown, foamy, coffee-colored water 100 meters wide and a mile out. You know, all that water that's displaced by all those millions of tons of, of white water coming to the shore, it piles up and sweeps across and then turns and goes back out. And so that rip is the rip where if people get caught into it, you're, that's where you're way offshore, then the wind takes care of the rest. And So we turned around and started walking back. And the girl that I had spoken to to go call the Coast Guard, she comes running up behind me and she meets us. The, one of the guys that went out to paddle to look for her comes and takes her board. And, and so me and Katrina and Anita are walking down the beach together. And it's a long walk back. And as we're walking, I stopped at one moment, got my... I got my mind clear and I spoke to her. I go, Katrina, um, were you afraid out there? Was it scary? And she goes, yeah, mommy, scary. And then I started crying and she wiped her. Don't worry, mommy, it's okay. It's okay, I fine, I fine, mommy, I fine. And I said, okay, and so we keep walking. And then out of the blue, we've been walking about 10 minutes. And out of the blue, she starts, motioning with her arms on both sides like you know uh, the way dolphins go in and out of the water she starts saying dolphins mommy dolphins and I'm it's not clicking to me I'm like what is she talking about dolphins mommy sticky noses sticky noses and I'm like I'm not getting it and my friend says Juliet she's trying to say to you that dolphins helped her out of the water and when my friend said that, Katrina became very animated. Yes, mommy, yes. And I'm like, I couldn't believe it. I'm sitting there going, and, and she starts just expressing about the dolphins. And so we walked away, we kept continuing to walk, and I'm going through my mind, Lord, you sent dolphins to help her come out of the water. And, and then she starts talking about two other, two other people. And she starts talking about these two men. <laughs> There's two, these two men that were there. And one was a black guy, and there was another guy. So she, whenever afterwards, she would draw pictures. She'd talk about the two men and the dolphins, and she'd draw circles with a cross. And that was how she would communicate her story. Who were the two guys? I believe they were angels. When you finally made it to where Katrina and Juliet were, and you heard the description of the dolphins and the two guys, what were your thoughts? <laughs> I recall my daughter's excited uh, description of the dolphins. And so way, the way, you know, because 
Juliet said it and Anna was saying she's telling us about these dolphins, you know. And so as we're walking back, we're now getting over the the shock and the and the just the the relief and all of those. And um I turned to my daughter and I go, honey, well, what happened? She goes, Daddy, the dolphins, the dolphins. And so the way, you know, she's 13 and her and the fact that she's learning in a bilingual, bicultural culture. She knows English. She understands English. She understands Spanish. She understands the Portuguese. So she mixes them all together. Um, when she's part of, of this this conversation, you're going to have some fun. There she was, but in her in her way, her arm motions really expressed it. Her arms, right and left arm, went up to the sides and arced over in front of herself. She made this arcing kind of movement. And it was demonstrating how the dolphins were jumping along both sides of her. And so as she arced her hands forward and reached forward, then she cupped her hands, palms down, and she said, but ooh, daddy, sticky noses. And so she was expressing and showing how her down, down, her cupped, you know, downward hands were hanging on to these dolphins. She, she had her hands extended to the right and to the left, holding on to something which very easily could be seen as, as hanging onto the dorsal or hanging onto the snout or whatever. And um, she went on and on and just got so ecstatic about it. It was so exciting to her. It was such a wonderful experience for her. And then, and this is something that um, we, we didn't even catch in the early moments. She kept talking about these two guys. And we, I, I kind of, I didn't want to go there because I wasn't sure at the moment, you know, uh, what that meant. Two guys. But a friend of ours in San Diego, uh, a few months later, uh, we were in San Diego and this, this old couple were staying down there with, and they're, they're listening to her story, listening to our story. And, and she turned to Katrina and she said, what were the guys wearing? And I never thought to answer the, ask that question. You know, at first I was like, well, guys, you know, probably, do you know, dolphins, angels came in the form of dolphins. Uh, she goes, oh, they were in white. They were in all, all in white. And then she started talking about these two, these two guys. And the way she described it, one was a black guy, you know, and that's how she described one of these angelic beings that I believe, you know, as I, as I listened to her, my jaw dropped. Because I, I was, I'm not the sharpest pencil in the box, I guess. Because I never, I never really investigated and went deeper into her, her description of the scenario. So I mean, apparently she had a pot of dolphins that came in, which, which was really interesting, interestingly confirmed. I wrote that story in the evening, and the next morning I saw some of my friends went down to surf. Some of the boys that went out to the bay to look for her. Some of the surfers, these big wave rider friends of ours, who all love Katrina. So everybody was searching for her. And when they saw me in the morning, they go, Mitch, we read your post. So glad that Katrina's okay. They said, we want to make sure that you know, when we paddle out in the bay, we saw the biggest pod of dolphins heading north in the direction of where we now know Katrina was. And so we don't get dolphins. It's, it's like up in Alaska or something where we live, more or less, you know, or, 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 or Oregon, Washington, you know. And so it's in, colder. In terms water. of your latitude. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. And so it's colder water. And so we don't, they're not, they, they come through on occasion, but they don't hang around, you know? And so um, that was even like, are you sure? Are we sure? And then they said it. They said, we saw them and we saw them at the time frame where they're heading north where she would have been. So that was a further confirmation in terms of eyewitness. Although nobody saw her except our heavenly father getting rescued by the dolphins.
And now the moment I've been waiting for. We have all three of you. Welcome home, Dad. <laughs> Welcome home, Dad. <laughs> this, this is a girl who loves yes, the microphone. I can tell already. Okay. I'm ready. You're, I, you are ready. You were born yes, ready. <laughs> you were born ready. Um, so uh, let's could maybe we could ask Katrina. What do you remember about the dolphins? Could you get her into that story? Right. Yeah. Um, yeah, you want to tell the, the story about the dolphins? Yeah, tell us. The story about the dolphin to go real in the waves. The waves. Yeah. And and were the dolphins swimming like this? And the uh, dolphins in at the disc. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So yeah, big dolphin. Big dolphin. Big dolphin. What about their noses? I heard they the had sticky nose. noses. Oh, the uh, face. Yeah. Oh, the face. Okay. Yeah. Did you touch them? Yes, I did touch it. Did you hang on to that? Where, yeah, hold on, touch it, touch it. <laughs> hey, did you hang on. on tight? What else was there behind? Do you remember anybody else there with you? Um, Black May. Um, Jackie Chan. <laughs> it could have been the other. Yeah, because there were there was like I showed there were two men. So we said the so black one man. was a black man and one looked like Jackie Chan. Right. <laughs> yeah, remember God, yeah. the father, the God, the father. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Did God did God send them? Do you think to help yes. you? Yes. You have to see at the body of the father. Um, it's my dad. He like got a phone and turned it to like. Katrina, were you when you were in the yeah. waves with the dolphins? Were you scared? Uh, not too bad. I get it for a little bit. You know, <laughs> scary. The mountain, um, good. Um, see how I get the better. See how my dinner. See the real body, the skin. If we did the dog, I did. Um, that's a very nice, huh? Yeah. yeah. They get, they get a good job. We get me. Mm. Yeah, I get the mama, I get the daddy. This is a bit for you. You see, the no, see, the ask God, they don't remember. That's right. They get the guy, I get the ask God. Ask God. Just ask God. We love God. Ask God. So good. Wow. Yeah, I like the way you guys described it. That that Good Friday was, and that Easter at large, was all about teaching you about the resurrection in a in a whole new way. Whole new way, whole new way. Brought a whole new dimension to the to his his sacrifice for us and his victory mm-hmm. over death and the grave. Mm-hmm. I mean that 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 was the story. And and I think I think both Juliet and I have gained a a, a, a greatly increased respect and love for God in, in terms of even what we ask for. Mm-hmm. And we all have those kind of prayers, like I said before. It's a million you, you, you throw out a you throw out a prayer, and and you're asking for an answer, mm-hmm. and you don't know what kind of package it's mm-hmm. going to come in. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, that was a it was a horrible and a beautiful weekend. That's very good. It really was. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the uh, Mitch was telling me about uh, when you when you had Katrina, you were told that sh- she was special. Yes, and then right. we learn all mm-hmm. about what happened to the very uh, nurse or midwife who told you that. Right. Could you 
get into mm-hmm. that story for us? Because yeah. I think that's a tremendous. I, I think there are people that are going to, want to hear this. Yeah, yeah. for bed, it's good. Yeah, when I was um, well, when I went into labor. Yeah, it's a bit well. Yeah, no. when mommy was having you in the in the hospital, I went into labor and uh, Katrina's born, and she asked me if I, you know, if I saw anything different in Katrina, and I said no, and she said, well, you have a Down syndrome baby. Um, and I said, what does that mean? And she said, well, these babies come with difficulties, but with lots of love. They As grow they, to be wonderful, hey. wonderful people in society. And she said, I know you guys are <laughs> Christian, and I know God knows who to send these babies to. And so I never, you know, it, most people who are, have a child that's born different than what they expected go through a dying to a vision, they go through a grieving process, and then they accept what God has given them. So they normally say you you cry and you grieve, and then you accept, and then you can love the new child. Well, I never went through that. Mm-hmm. From day from when she was born, I was, I, I loved her. I never cried because I had her, that she was different. It's something God did miraculously in me, because I'm not that kind of person. But God had prepared me all those years so that when she was born, I was able to love her spot on. That's why she's very different than a lot of other Down syndrome kids, because from her for birth and conception, her um, she's really never sensed rejection from us. And that's really important because that has launched her into a great confidence. You know, she walks in the room, she knows who she is, and <laughs> she lights up the room. She lights yeah. up the and the pe- people are just. She just knows who she is. And so this midwife watched me through those days, those three days I was in the hospital. She watched that I never cried. She Actually, while I was giving birth and she was finishing the last little bits, you know, I said, well, this is great. We have a swimming pool. We can start working with, with her. And the midwife was listening to all this with me. And then after I would, uh, six months after she was born, I'd visit and they would tend to me and then you know, I didn't see her anymore, but she worked at the hospital. She married one of the doctors, and she left the area. Well, it was about 10 years, 10 later, years later. She sh- shows up at our door, knocks on the door, and I'm, I see her. Sus- Susie, you're here. And she said, hi. And I, we hugged each hi. other, and she said, I needed to come visit you. I need to, I need to show you something. She goes, um, I got, you know, I'm pre- I got pregnant. We had our first baby, but... You know, he he was diagnosed as Down, Down syndrome. And my husband, who's a doctor, started looking up everything possible to see how it could be changed or if we could do something. And, and, uh, but, you know, I remembered you. I remembered you said, God doesn't make mistakes. I remembered you happy that said, this is what God has given us. And, and I, I hung on to that. I believed that. I trusted God. So when he was right. born, I had the, I had the hope and the faith that you have it with your girl. She goes, I want you to meet him. So she she brought him the little boy into the living room, and uh, she goes, I want you to pray for him. Now this is a woman that was when I, when I gave birth to Katrina wasn't a believer, wasn't going to church. This is someone that really you know had faith in. In, in people, but not fully a great in thing water. to God. And so um, me, <laughs> Katrina was there. She got to see him, and she got to touch him and hold it. And we got to pray 
for Susan. Her husband wasn't with her at that moment, but we got to pray for her and her baby. And um, and she's the, the, she was like 28, 29 years old, a young woman. Mm -hmm. And I realized the impact God had allowed us to have with Katrina impacted her and the rest of her ministry. She continues to be a midwife, and so she continues to encourage women that it's okay to have a different baby. It's okay. It's a blessing from God. Katrina is a blessing from God. Here's a Bible verse that I believe is going to speak to your heart. I know it has to the Anderson family. It's from the New Testament book of Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Messiah Jesus. By the way, for more information about Mitch and Juliet and their youth with the mission base in Chile, please visit their website, ywampichilimu.com. That's Y-W-A-M-P-I-C-H-I-L-E-M-U.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share it with a friend. Thanks for joining me as I share stories from my many friends and family members who have all received another chance from a God whose fountain is filled with an ever-flowing abundance of additional chances. Thanks for joining me.